Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 4. You know, we've all got things we need to work on, right? In our Christian walk, in our Christian life. And when you get a certain amount of frustration, I don't know about you guys, but in this walk, there can be a certain amount of frustration. There can be, you, you get to going on the right path and it seems like the devil put something up or, or maybe you put it up in your own way. I don't know. But, and you fall back down again. You know, those things that you thought were behind you, you they, they crop back up again. I don't want to get y'all worried. I'm just talking in general terms now. But uh, there's a frustration with coming up against the same problems time after time. But in this Christian walk, it's, it's not when you fail. It's when you fail to get back up. Amen? And God made a way. See the... Give me a second here. Last week when we talked about Paul's prayer, I just want to give a little context to this morning. Paul was praying certain things for the people in the church. He said over in uh, verse 16, or verse 15 of chapter number 3, he said, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth, he said, verse 14, excuse me, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That sermon's online, but not to rehash the whole thing, but this is in context. Paul's talking about unity in the church. The whole book of Ephesians is about the church. And in chapter number three, he's praying for the individuals in the church. He asks that they be strengthened in the inner man. Not strengthened on the outside, but strengthened internally so that you can stand up against temptation, so that they can stand up against the wiles of the devil. It's inside that the battle takes place, amen? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's inside you that you fight the battles. He said that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. And he's praying that you would abide in Christ because that's where your strength comes from. If you get apart from Christ, you may be saved. You may have Christ in your heart. But you begin walking this way and you leave Christ over here. If you're not abiding in Christ, you're not going to have that strength in the inner man. So that's another thing that Paul prayed for. He said that they would grow in their knowledge of God and that knowledge would be tempered with love. Now that's me rephrasing it. But knowledge without love... Is just a bunch of noise. And we talked about that. And so all of these things that he prayed for, and finally he prayed that they would know the fullness of God and the love of Jesus Christ. I rehashed that because now Paul in chapter number four, he talks about what he prayed for. But see, when Jesus left, he didn't leave us alone. Jesus isn't sitting up next to the throne of God with us down here just, just kind of moving around and fecklessly trying to figure things out on our own. But he made a way for us to be together. He made a way for us to grow in Christ. He, he didn't set us here to sit and wait until the day that we die so that we can be with him. But he set up a system. He set up something so that we wouldn't have to go it alone. There's so many people... And I'm talking about the church. And there's so many people that get out there and they say, well, you know, they've been hurt in one way or another. 
Because people in the church will hurt you. I don't care who you are, and I don't care how long. The longer you've been in church, the more you're going to see hurt. When a church splits and you see a family leave and you see families turn against each other, you say, Brother Keith, you're not making a good advertisement for the church. Well, I'm being honest about it. People are mean. But the thing is, it's not isolated to the church. That's what people don't understand. They said, I got hurt in church. Well, you know, my dad was in a ham radio club. When he would tell me about some of the things going on, this little ham radio club that they joined together for a common purpose and setting up radio repeaters and things like that. And man, they would get together on field day and make contacts on the radio and things like that. You would think that'd be pretty simple, right? Oh, no, you got a power play going on. One man wants to take over the organization. Another one wants the organization to do this. Another one wants to hold back the organization. Let me tell you something. Anything that man gets involved in, it's going to get messed up. But that's not the way Jesus Christ set it up. He gave us something different. See, when you're in the ham radio club or you're in the chess club or you're in whatever club, you're in the the hat club, whatever you're in, they're all working on their own. But Jesus left us something so that we didn't have to be alone. Over in John 14, he talked about the comforter. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us. It joins us in unity. Look at chapter number four here. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Paul was even... He was literally in prison this time, but he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. He's there for Christ's sake. Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul asked the Ephesians, he asked them to walk worthy of their calling. See, we all have a purpose here on this earth. Like I said, we're not just sitting here waiting for the day when we can see Jesus. God has us here for a purpose. And Paul tells them to walk worthy of the vocation, walk worthy of their calling. Not only that, but he tells them to walk well. Now, these are just points, but one day I'll preach this sermon some other time when y'all have forgotten about it. But these points just kind of came out. This isn't the sermon. He says, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, you're to walk well. You're not, you don't just succeed in Christ. You just don't check off the boxes and say, I'm yours, Christ, and I've done everything that you've said to do, and here I am, I stand before you. I've done all that I need to do and everything. Because there's a way you need to walk as a Christian and things that you need to keep in mind. It's a whole other sermon, but he says to walk humbly. Remember your place. Remember why Christ died for you. Remember that you're not better than other people. Do you get the part where if we do things the way God lines it up, then you have unity in the church? That if we follow the Holy Spirit, then we have unity in the church. If we put other people before ourselves, then we have unity in the church. Now, if you're just visiting, don't think that I'm going off on somebody. There's nobody on the target list here. I shoot with a shotgun. I took the scope off a long time ago. And when I did use it, it didn't go well. It kind of like that Sunday school this morning, the, the lesson. 
And if you missed it, it's too bad. <laughs> but not only are you to walk humbly, you're to walk patiently. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. That means you got to put up with each other. Amen. And he's talking to the church now. He's talking to the members of the church. You got to put up with each other. Somebody's hurt your feelings. You got to kind of push past it. And uh, I told you, I'm shooting with a shotgun now. If the Lord's, if your phone's ringing, answer it. Like Dr. Oliver Green used to say. Walk humbly, walk patiently, and walk with restraint. He says, with all long, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know, we read love in the Bible. And me growing up in the 80s, I got to push back the hippies holding the flowers. And, you know, because, oh, everything's peace and love and everything. But in the church, we are to have love for one another. It's the love that supersedes all the other things that the world thinks. It's, it's the love, you know, it's laying down your life for another. It's, it's, it's being there for each other. It's, it's love in Christ, the way Christ loves us. We weren't left on our own to do this all by ourselves. This, this walk, you try to do it on your own, there's going to be frustration. There's going to be times. And even doing it through Christ. There's going to be times when you're frustrated, but you've got to know who's in charge. You've got to know why you're doing it. You know, there's been times in my life when I've made decisions and uh, I've prayed about it. And I've, I've told you all time and again, I'll tell you again, you know, biggest decision I ever made was marrying Dee Dee. That wasn't tough. You know, the hard part of the decision of marrying Dee Dee? was holding myself back. Because I was so afraid. I, I grew up in a divorced family. You know, I, I grew up, when I, when I was three years old, parents divorced, and I'd go from one house to the next. I didn't want that for my kids, and I didn't want that in my life. And it, this was a big decision to me. And I prayed, and I asked God to, you know, Lord, is this what you want? And I wasn't even in church good then. I was saved when I was 11, but I was praying. I was asking the Lord, is this what you want? I don't want to step out on this if this isn't what you want. You can see the end from the beginning. Tell me how this is going to go. Well, let me tell you something. Having made that decision, no matter what happens, I know God was in it. And there's that peace when you go forward in it. Let me find my point again. But there's that, that peace with following Christ. There's that peace when things go bad, when things are, are going wrong, and you know that you're in Christ's will. There's a certain peace about where you are. You know that he's going to bring you through the other side. Well, let me tell you something. When you walk in that tunnel on your own, and it's a decision you made all on your own, and you're walking in that tunnel, you get about halfway down, and you start with Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that storm starts to look bad. But let me tell you, you can still cry out, Lord, save me. And he'll pull you up out of the storm. Amen? So we weren't left on our own to do this. Christ created the church. 
It's not a solo journey. There's, so I was saying people get mad at the church and they say, well, I don't need to go to church to be with the Lord. One of the examples I saw on TV a long time ago was John Walton Sr. All the kids are going to church and, and uh, they said, well, how come daddy's not going with us? And he said, well, son, I can worship God out on there fishing on the water. And uh, the kid said, I want to go to church on the water with dad. <laughs> I want to go. No, you're going to church with me. But, you know, if people get an idea about this is where I'm going to be close to God. But let me tell you something. That's, it's not a solo journey. It's hard to do on your own. I don't know about y'all, but there's been times in my life when I've gotten out of church. And let me tell you something. It's a hard journey. The best times I remember were the times of fellowship I had in church. The times of revival meetings when I saw people going down to the altar and crying and turning their heart over to the Lord. The time that I, that I was so full of the Spirit that you just like speak to that man. And you go and speak to him and tell him about Jesus Christ and how to be saved. The times when it just, it just swelling up within you. And even if they didn't get saved, you knew that did the right, you did the right thing. Making it on your own, the times that I've been out of church, it's just, you start to get, you start to drift. You say, well, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you start to drift. And you start to drift a little further. You start to drift a little further. And then everything's a memory. You're looking back. Now, I know, I know it's hard to find a church. And, and if y'all don't, find one here, I pray you find one where you're happy. And I ain't trying to run you off. I ain't trying to run anybody off by any means. But I want you where God wants you. I'm not going to manipulate you and coerce you. I'm not going to play games with the Bible to say you need to be here. You walked in the door. God put you here. This is where you need to stay. Otherwise, you're going to get out of the will of God. You walk out them doors and leave us and your life will never be the same. I ain't going to do that to you. Because I believe in the Bible And I believe in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Your walk may be personal, but fellowship is in the church with people that you can agree with. So we weren't on our own to do this. Paul says to walk in unity. Jesus died for his church, which is all believers, and equipped us to help us to to help each other. And to build each other up. Ephesians 2.18, Paul says, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're not on your own. He says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Now, that's a whole other sermon in itself. But this morning, I just want to preach on building the church. Amen? Now, let's look at this. Now, he talks about... Unity, and he goes on in verses 4 through 6, and he talks about our one Lord, our one Spirit, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And in verse number 7, gets into our sermon, he says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. 
He says, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Pay attention to this part. And gave gifts unto men. We're not going to talk about ascending and descending this morning. We're going to talk about how he gave gifts unto men. Now, verse number 14 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. So I kind of broke it down this morning, just make it easy to remember. We have jobs, we have journey, a journey, and we have Jesus Christ. Amen. So he talks about the apostles. The Bible talks about the, the foundation of the apostles. Over there in verse number 20, chapter number 2, he says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So when Jesus was here, he had the 12 that followed him. The requirement for the apostle was that they were there, they saw Jesus die, or they, they saw Jesus resurrected. They saw him resurrected. Paul talked about being an apostle out of due time, as one born out of due time. Because he didn't see Jesus until John chapter, until Acts chapter number 9 on the road to Damascus. So he was still an apostle, and he was that's getting into a lesson. But the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the part that gets to us when he talks about evangelists. Now, evangelists, you know, he, he's not just a guy that goes around from church to church and gets a revival meeting going, right? That's what we have today. That's kind of the office we feel. But the evangelist is somebody that goes out and tells people the good news of Jesus Christ. A publisher of glad tidings. I'm going to give you from Easton's, Easton's Bible Dictionary. It says, a missionary preacher of the gospel. It says, this title is applied to Phillips, Acts 21.8, who appears to have gone from city to city preaching the word. And judging from the case of Philip, evangelists had neither the authority of an apostle nor the gift of prophecy nor the responsibility of pastoral supervision over a portion of the flock. you get all that? Because I use that because it's clearer than what I would have said. In other, well, maybe not. In other words, Philip wasn't an apostle, he wasn't a prophet, and he didn't have a church to, to feed the flock of. He just went out and gave the word. You all remember Philip in Acts chapter number 8? He, he leaves a big revival going on in one town, and he goes out to the backside of the desert because that's where God sends him. And he sees one man riding in the chariot, that Ethiopian unit. And he draws up to him, and he sees him reading the book of Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? I love these words. How can I except some man show me? And then he begins to tell him about Jesus Christ. He said, is, this, is he speaking... Is, is the prophet speaking of himself or some other man? And he begins to tell him about Jesus Christ. And by the end, he gets baptized there on the side of the road. He gets saved. And he went away rejoicing. And then Philip moves on. Philip was an evangelist. He was telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said they were itinerant preachers having as it having it as their special function to carry the gospel to places where it was previously unknown. And they also call the writers of the four gospels evangelists because they're telling the news about Jesus Christ. And then notice the next one. Some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now in the King James, those go together, pastors and teachers. You know, that's, that's one of the things that makes it hard about being a pastor. There's been a lot of times that I told Dee, I said, I just ain't a pastor. 
I just, I just, I, I, I don't fit. I don't fill it up. I don't, I don't meet the need. I don't fill the shoes. You know, balance between, I'm not going to cry on your shoulder here. I'm just talking. Pastors and teachers. And it's like, you got to work on both of them. Because not only are you there to help people, not only are you there to be there for them, if all you are is there for them, you can be a friend. But you're also a teacher. Now, if all you are is a teacher, well, you could be a Sunday school teacher, you could teach in some other place. But if all you are is a teacher, you're just giving them knowledge without any love. Or you can give them love without any knowledge. Y'all follow me on that? Pastor, pretty much. A little bit of confusion there. A pastor is a, is a preacher and a teacher, is what I'm saying. He says, and some pastors and teachers. But there's a reason for this. Well, pastors and teachers. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And that's something that I keep in mind as a pastor. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep, Brother Keith. Brother Grady used to say, feed the sheep. And when you get sheep, you understand. You don't feed the sheep, they get irritable. They might not even know they're getting bad food, but something will go, they'll know something's wrong. They'll know something's wrong with the feed. They'll know that it's not good enough or that they're not getting fed with it or they're walking away hungry. Feed the sheep. So not only did Christ set it up so we had jobs. Now, to understand, in the church, there's other jobs because there's things that we do to make things happen in the church. We have somebody that cleans the church. We have people that that work and do maintenance on the church. Now, that's a building, you say. Well, it is, but this is where we gather. Where you live, you fix, right? We live here as a family. We fix it. We take care of it. But if all we do is keep our focus inside, and I'm guilty. Hard not to sometimes when you got to building like we do. 50, 60 years old. But you got to get outside. You got to get your eyes outside on the world, on other people. But it's feeding the sheep. So not only do you have the jobs within the church, and there's a lot of jobs that make the work of the ministry happen, but also look at the next part. So he gave us all these gifts, Jesus did, when he left. He left us the Holy Spirit to join together in unity and to teach us and to lead us and to give us a spirit of love. And he gave us the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. But he gave them to us for a reason. Verse number 12 gives us that reason. Look what it says. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the perfecting of the saints. Does that mean you're going to be perfect in this lifetime? And then the question is, well, how does that perfecting take place? It's learning God's word. It's learning what God wants for you as a Christian. It's changing the way you walk. Amen? Or as some say, progressive sanctification. Not to put a doctrinal term on it, but you're, you, you're to be steadily growing Toward Christ. We aren't going to be perfect until we see Christ face to face. We aren't going to be 
sinless until we see Christ face to face. We are, as if we'd never sinned, justified. But the perfecting of the saints, finished, complete, consummate, not defective. There's a growth process that takes place. And if you try to do it apart from the Christians, now, now there's fellowships where you just can't grow. There's toxic fellowships and things like that. But we're talking about the church that Christ set up. You have the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers, all that working together for the perfecting of the saints. So that you, you let, me, let me put it in a simple illustration. You ever been sitting out there and God just get a hold of your heart when somebody's preaching? And you say, yeah, Lord, I need to take care of that. And it made you change something about the way you walk. Amen? I've seen people that, that uh, gotten rid of CDs and thrown stuff away. I, I seen a man who had tattoos on his arm that regretted him. You know, he had 666 tattooed on his arm. He was in the church of Satan before he met Christ. But it changed him. And it's God's word that does the changing. So there's the perfecting of the saints and there's the work of the ministry. You know, it's, it's just not sitting in the pew, but it's, it's the work of the ministry, whatever that may be. But it's keeping in mind that the work of the ministry is the furtherance of the gospel and the building up of the saints. I don't know if that's clear, but let's move on. And then there's the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, that word edify, if you've ever heard the term edifice or uh, edified church building, you know, it's, it's built up. And Paul talked about the foundation of the apostles and we're built up into a holy temple. So the edifying of the church is building people up. Let me tell you something. When you deal with people, you can build them up or you can tear them down. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will destroy me. It's the words that you choose to say. The Bible talks about a word fitly spoken is as apples of gold. Amen. So edifying someone is building them up. And that's why I felt so bad about picking on Jacob and Caroline there. Because that wasn't building up. And I'm not trying to tear down. I don't want to tear down. I want everyone strong in Christ. That prayer that Paul prayed, I want everyone strengthened in the inner man. I want everyone walking close to the Lord. And I want everyone to be filled with God's fullness and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's our purpose in being a church and gathering together. Now we can get carried away and we can say, well, we're gathered together for this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Does it build up the body of Christ? Does it get us closer to the Lord? And uh, it's asking yourself these questions. It's, it's building someone up. They hadn't been here in a while. Encourage them. I, I've mentioned it before. One of the worst things I hated to hear was about not being there when I was there. It's like, man, you don't know what I went through to get here. <laughs> if you knew about the fire that I had to, and the coals I had to cross to get through that door this morning, you'd be glad to see me instead of telling me about when you didn't. Amen. And then, so it's not only for the building up, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, and then we'll, we'll go down a little bit. He says, uh, we're going to skip verse 13. 
and we'll go to verse 14. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie, they lie in wait to deceive. And let me tell you, I, I know more than I ought to know about cults. I guess a long time ago, and, and my mind just likes to research things, but a long time ago I said, you know, somebody's going to come at me with Jim Jones and Guyana when I tell them I'm in the church. You know, when, we, when me and Dee were sitting in a church and we both knew that's the church that we were going to be in, we looked at each other, I looked at her and I said, you know, I said, this is, it. This is where I want to be. I said, but if they're asking us to pack up and move to Guyana, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I learned a little bit about cults. And over the years, there's been a lot of different cults. And I've seen some similar things. One of the similar things we're not going to talk about, but it always involves corruption of what God set up between a man and a woman. Amen? And uh, so when we look at this verse in in, uh, verse number 14, we're talking about sound doctrine. We're talking about learning God's word and learning what he really means in God's word, what what he set up for us. We're talking about letting the Bible speak for itself. Amen? Because one of the other things that I've seen common in cults, and this ties into and says, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Something else a church does, your fellowship together as Christians, is build you up in God's word and understanding God's word so that when someone comes along from left field and they try to tell you this and this and this, let me tell you something, in, in the cults, those are the crafty men, and even in churches. I'll tell you, in Baptist churches, and, and I don't know about Methodist, but I'm telling you, some of the Baptists are the worst about using the Bible to manipulate you and get you to do what they want to do, about telling you, God said this, and so you need to be doing this. You ever, you ever heard a preacher with a pet topic? I'm not talking about me. We're not going to talk about my pet topics. Although I like the law and grace and stuff like that, you know. But, uh, you know, they, they, every, every time they come to a passage, it's like I know where he's going with this. It's going to be about working in the church. I heard a sermon one time that talked about uh, a galley ship and, and how they admired the galley ship, which is funny because me and Matt had been talking about it at work, you know, about pulling on the oar. You know, you get into a church, and, and maybe I should be more like this. We might have more people. But you get into a church, and the first thing, you know, we got a ministry for you over here. I've seen people that just got saved and getting, getting harnessed. Oh, here, come on, step over here, get up in the harness. Because God wants you working, right? But building people up, that's what God wants. He wants you built up in God's word. He wants you drawing closer to Christ. He wants your relationship with Christ. But we're going to get you on here. We'll get you on the painting committee. And we'll get you over here on the dinner committee. We'll, we'll get you lined up. So that when they get into church and they're so busy doing all this other stuff, they forgot what their first love is. They get so harnessed up. And I heard the preacher one time, a preacher one time, and he said, I just like the picture of a galley ship. Everybody's pulling together on the oars. Me and Matt talked about it later, and I said, yeah, but you know the other thing about the galley ship? 
Everybody's chained to their seat. Nobody's got freedom. There isn't freedom in that. And whether they're tired or not, they're going to have to make that next stroke or there's going to be a whip come down on their back. It looks all pretty on the outside. Those oars, they all pull together. Man, it looks pretty when they all go up and then they all come down and that thing, there's forward motion and that thing's going somewhere. But you know the only one enjoying where it's going? The emperor up on the top deck who's going over to his, what, I, and I'm just painting a picture now. I'm not picking on anybody in particular. But what I'm saying is we're to build each other up. If we pull on oars and we're, we're pulling toward a goal, we want to lead people to Christ and we're pulling on the oars, okay. But you're not going to be chained there. Not here. You're not going to be whipped. But by sleight of men and cunning craftiness. So the cult gets you in there and they tell you, you know, they'll throw in a little bit of Bible. And say, well, it says this over here and it says this over here. And because of that, then it's this. But when you get in the church, when the church is doing right, you're preaching, God says this and God says that. And showing you in the context. You know, some of the best sermons I got were because I got the context of the whole chapter instead of trying to go to a little passage. You know how they divide it up in your study Bible? You just focus on that one part. And you can just focus on this one part. But you get to reading the whole context and it's like, oh, well, that's a lot richer. That's why I took you back to chapter number two. That's why I took you back to read Paul's prayer and we kind of move forward a little bit. But, uh, and then the other thing, so sound doctrine keeps you from being deceived that we henceforth be no children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Somebody that doesn't know their Bible, they get led anywhere. Well, my preacher, my preacher said, my, my pastor said, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Oh, man. And you know, people know, they say, you know, oh, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. Oh, yeah, you can. Oh, I can make you feel so guilty, I could pound you. But what good does it do? Or the purpose of the church is to build you up. Have I made that point clear? He says, it was in, uh, verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love. Now there's something. Why are you so mean? I'm just telling the truth, right? But there's no love in it. Speaking the truth in love, telling someone about Jesus, you're going to hell. There's two ways to say it. You're going to hell. Or you're bound to going to hell, but Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're going to hell, but I don't want you to. You're going to hell because you don't know Christ. Let me show you how to know him. It's not, here's the truth, oh, you just don't want to believe it. Off to hell with you. No. Let me show you Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he did for me. And it gets harder and harder nowadays, right? I mean, there's a whole list of people that don't want to know Christ. But God will send you to the right person. God will move your heart on somebody that he's been working on. You just pray and you start looking. And then there's Christian maturity. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
It's understanding who's the head of the church, and it's growing up into Jesus Christ. It's growing more mature. Now, how do you do that? Well, that goes on later. That's a whole nother sermon when it talks about putting away these things and putting on these things, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Amen. But today we're just talking about building up the church. You just read a little further in chapter number three, you'll come across it when he says this Isaiah, therefore, and testifying the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You start from there and just go on. And then I talk about growing up. But the method is speaking the truth in love and the maturity is that we may grow up into Christ. It will be like him. So jobs in the church, our journey, our Christian walk. And you know, there's, there's an old saying, life's not a destination, it's a journey. Amen. And then there's Jesus. Look at, uh, go back to the one we skipped. Verse number 13. He says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, while we're here on this earth, We don't see things as clearly as we will in eternity. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know him in part. We know what God's told us about Jesus. We know we've seen him work in our lives. We know him in part. But Paul says, But then shall I know even as also I am known. There's going to come a day when the trumpet sounds and when we stand before God, when we stand before Jesus Christ and the works are tried, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, when the works are tried, and we're going, to, we're going to know him face to face. And, you know, I got a feeling for all these people that got it all figured out, it's kind of like looking at that little piece of uh, passage that's divided up in your Bible. And when you read the context, imagine the context we're going to get when we're standing before Jesus Christ. Amen. But we're all destined to be like Christ. Romans 8, 29 says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, here's the important thing. God knew you were going to be saved. Amen. God didn't pick you. He picked you through Jesus Christ. But he said, for whom he did foreknow, that's according to God's foreknowledge. God knows ahead of time what's going to happen. He knows from the foundation of the world what's going to happen. He also did predestinate to be conformed, not to be saved, but to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn. Jesus said in John chapter number three, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Jesus died and was resurrected. He was the firstborn of the resurrection. But the day will come when we're all resurrected from the dead. When the rapture happens, we stand before God. When we see the resurrection, 
So we look forward to that day. And so we have our jobs here on earth. We have our journey. And it's all about building the church. We have our journey to Christian maturity. We do it together, not solo. And he says, uh, in conclusion, we have a completed church. That building is all put together. Look at uh, verse number fifteen. Verse number 16. Verse number 16. He says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. You know, I met a carpenter last year. I was sitting at the Mr. Mechanic. And I was sitting there and talking to the guy. And you got some time because Mr. Mechanic's kind of popular among people for some reason. Sure. But we're sitting there and he's, he's down staying with his son in a house out back. But he was showing me some of the work that he did. And he, he, he was a carpenter. But he didn't, he wasn't just one of these get out there and slap together a building carpenter, you know, the nail gun, you know, it's put together and we'll slap some caulking in there if we miss it or whatever. The man that he worked for, he said, I'm going to pay you this much per board you cut or I'm going to pay you this much. But every one you mess up, you're going to pay me or it's going to come out of your check. He said it took him a while to get up to that promised pay because the man wanted it cut right. And we're talking about it matters if you get on this side of the pencil or that side of the pencil or you're right on the pencil. You know, you you allow for things. And when that building went up, when that frame and all that went up, it was all fitly joined together. So let me tell you something. When we're all walking with Christ and we'll get that. Yeah, let's move on. So he says, joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied. And that's, that's the members in the church. And look what he says next. He says, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part. I used to not get that. But you ever heard you're only as strong as your weakest link? Every church member is on their own walk, right? And together we make a building. And we're only as strong as our weakest link, but that doesn't mean that we kick away the weak links. We build them up. We edify. Amen? And that doesn't mean you think yourself better. Remember, there's a part about staying humble. But together, building up together, according to the effectiveness of each member in the church as we move forward. Now, these are big terms. These are grand terms, and you've got to put it into the nuts and bolts, and we'll do that another time. But he says, make it increase. Well, let's read it all. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. And I think about, and he told me about those joints that he made, how they were, right? You, you couldn't see space between, you couldn't get paper between them, he said. And he showed me some of the, the crafts he was doing. He'd make birds and stuff and hand carving the feathers in there. Like, man, this was next level stuff. But compacted together. Can you imagine if we're all following Christ, what kind of church we'd be? Amen. And you say, well, what are you saying, bro? I don't know. If your phone's ringing, answer it. If the shoe fits, wear it. I don't know. I, I know what I got to work on, and I've been working on it. I know what you know what you got to work on, but we're to help each other. It's not to say, oh, you're, you're way down the road. You know, remember, stay in your own, run your own race, stay in your own lane. 
but together we build each other up into a building. He says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And then here's the goal. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I've read that and I said, you know, you can get a quicker version. <laughs> you know, you read NIV or whatnot, you can get a quicker thing. I, I love pulling it out of the King James. But he says, he says, uh, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The church growing together, built on love. Amen. It's caring for one another. It's being there for one another. And it's loving them for Christ's sake, as Christ loves us, as God loves us for Christ's sake. Amen. So there's Paul's prayer for the church, and there's Christ's equipping for the church to build us into a church body. If you'll stand.